official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Well, we only have, as Ian said, a couple Sundays left in our summer teaching series. And what we've been doing this summer is the name of this series that throughout our summer has been called Rooted. And what we've been doing is trying to find one Hebrew or Greek word from Scripture and then dig down to the roots of that word so we can investigate kind of the fuller meaning of that word. And I hope that our time looking at all these words over the summer have helped you engage Scripture more. I I know it has done that for me. And I had a little bit of trouble deciding on which Hebrew or Greek word I was going to teach on today because this is my last crack at this series. I've got the shovel in my hands one more time. (laughs) And next week we have a special guest, Chris Backert from Ecclesia, who's going to be sharing at our service for a few minutes. Then Ian's going to wrap up our series with a final Hebrew or Greek word. And... I really wanted, the last time I held the shovel this summer, I really wanted to find a word that was encouraging and unearth a word that would really just kind of bring hope. And so the word that I landed on was the Hebrew word tikvah. Can you say that with me? Tikvah. Tikvah. It's used 34 times in the Old Testament. And tikvah means hope. It means to gather into strength, to expect and to wait for a particular outcome or a fulfilled promise. That's tikvah. Now, I've mentioned this before, but Hebrew language is what's known as a picture language. A single Hebrew word can tell an entire story. And tikvah is such a word. This word paints a picture of what our hope in God looks like. It it paints a picture of what it means to expect and to wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. Now, typically the first time a Hebrew or Greek word is used in Scripture, it carries significant weight. And I've mentioned this before, too, in our series. Um, in, In the study of hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word for studying the Bible and interpreting the Scripture, there's a principle called the first mention principle. That the first time a word is mentioned, it usually unlocks a story. It carries significant weight and meaning to it. And tikvah does that same thing. The the first time tikvah is mentioned in scripture, it involves a story about a rope hanging out of a window. And so are you ready to to take a look at this with me? This story? It's in Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua chapter 2, here's the context before we read the passage. Joshua sends two Israelites into Jericho to spy out the land. And they end up staying with a prostitute named Rahab. This is quite a story, right? This is in the Bible. These two Israelite spies go into Jericho and they stay with a prostitute named Rahab. And what happens is the king of Jericho finds out. And he's a bit nervous. And so he sends people to go question Rahab. Only she has hidden them on her roof. And she lies about them being there and covers up. 
um, she tells the story to these soldiers. Yes, the two men you were looking for, they were here, but they left right around dusk, and they left out the city gates. And she says, if you hurry, you might catch them. But all the time, she had hid them on her roof. Well, after the soldiers leave, Rahab makes a deal with her house guests. She tells them, all of us here in Jericho, we've heard about how God freed you from Pharaoh and from Egyptian slavery. And we've even heard about how he parted the Red Sea for you and and brought you into freedom. And so she says this to them, swear by your God that you'll show me kindness like I showed you kindness and spare me and my family. And here's what they tell her in verse 17 of Joshua chapter 2. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord. And the word there for scarlet cord is tikvah. You have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. Verse 21, agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord tikvah in the window. So this scarlet cord represented something. This scarlet cord, this tikvah, was Rahab's hope. It was the only guarantee she had that her and her family would be saved. And I'm betting that she was incredibly anxious about this. Can you imagine waiting around, knowing that your, your, your city is going to be overtaken, and you're wondering if the two spies you helped out are going to keep their word? I'm betting that she looked at that rope a hundred times. She probably thought to herself, like, this is so crazy. My whole life, my family, everything is depending on this rope hanging out of my window. Are, are they going to even see it? Are they going to keep their word? Are they going to follow through on what they promised? And I'm betting that she even, like, just sometimes just, like, grabbed hold of it to squeeze it, just to feel something tangible. Because she really had nothing else to go on but just this promise. Nothing at all except for this promise. All her hope was in that rope, right? Every bit. She, she, it was a visual reminder that her entire future depended on nothing but a promise. The only thing she could do was, was trust that that promise would be fulfilled. And when we read further in Joshua chapter 2, we discover that it was that her and her family were spared. But that's not the end of Rahab's story. Her end, the end of her story happens in a really strange place. It happens in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. If you read the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, what Matthew does for us in his Gospel is he lays out a genealogy of Jesus, his lineage. And in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, we find Rahab's name. That's the meaning of tikvah. It's waiting and expecting and hoping that God will make good on his promises, and then it supersedes what we could even imagine or fathom. 
It's, it's about redemption and hope. It's about salvation and strength. It's a woven corded rope that you can hang on to when there's nothing else to cling to. That's tikvah. So let's look at a few scripture passages that use this Hebrew word tikvah. You want to walk through a few verses with me? Okay, Psalm chapter 71, verse 5, says, For you have been my hope, or my tikvah, Sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth, I have relied on you. Lord, you've been my tikvah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord, those who tikvah in the Lord, will renew their strength. How many of you could use some renewed strength? For those who tikvah in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Oh man, I need that. They will walk and not be faint. See, I'm convinced that every single one of us needs tikvah. We just don't know it. We need the hope to renew our strength. To help us run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. Look at this next verse. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to give you tikvah and a future. Lastly, Proverbs 23, verse 18. There is surely a future hope or tikvah for you. And your hope, your tikvah, will not be cut off. You know what I think of when I look at this rope? Is how hard it would be to cut it with a pair of scissors. It'd be extremely hard. I'd probably give up. This is what's called a shipyard rope. It's strong enough to anchor any boat. If you looked out this window here into Lake Champlain, it's strong enough to anchor any one of those boats. It's made up of thousands of strands of twine, that are tightly bound together, and it makes this rope durable and dependable. You can anchor to it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this about our hope in Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19 says, the hope we have in Jesus is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Now, here's the thing. Our hope we have in Jesus doesn't always feel that way, does it? At times, we even scrutinize our hope and trust in God. We'll say things like this. Man, I'm at the end of my rope. You ever say that before? Maybe you've said this before. Someone asks you how you're doing, and you say, I'm hanging on by a thread. Right? What do those expressions mean? What do they imply? It, they, they mean that the, the future looks bleak. There's little hope for change, like we're just about to break. We were, we're, just hold, we're just holding on. And that's why the promises of God in Scripture are a gift to us, because they provide us with a long, thick rope. Do you know that there are over 3,000 promises recorded in Scripture? 3,000. Do me a favor. Imagine 3,000 little strands of twine twisted and bound all together really tight, like into this rope. 
That would make a pretty thick, strong robe. So when Proverbs 23, 18 says, there is surely a future tikvah for you, and your hope, your tikvah, will not be cut off. To me, that's powerful, encouraging, strengthening. See, tikvah isn't a wishful thought. It's not like how we usually talk about hope. We might be talking today after service, say, man, I hope it's like this out tomorrow. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Tikvah is not that kind of hope. Tikvah is a, 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 an assured, a strong hope. It's sturdy. It's a woven cord that you can grab hold of when you need assurance that God is going to fulfill his word and his promises. How many here are familiar with the life of George Mueller? Anyone here? A few of you are familiar. Let me tell you a little bit about George Mueller. George Mueller lived in England in the 1800s, and he was known for two things. One, his dedication for caring for children. And two, he had a crazy commitment to depend on God's promises in Scripture. In 1836, he and his wife decided to take 30 female orphans into their home. Can you imagine? Imagine saying, hey, why don't we just take 30 female orphans into our home? By the year 1871, which was 35 years later, their orphan homes housed 2,050 children. He and his wife cared for over 10,000 orphans in their lifetime. He established 117 schools to educate 120,000 children and adults. And here is the amazing part about his story. He never went into debt. All those years, building these huge orphan homes, he built five of them, starting and launching 117 schools. He just solely relied on people's generosity and on the promises of God and Scripture. He saw in Scripture how much God cared for the orphans. And he believed that God would partner with him to care for orphans. And so he said, well, the, the scripture says that God's going to look after them, so I can partner with that. I read his autobiography in my early 20s, and I still remember some of the miraculous, crazy stories of provision. I remember one story he told where uh, he had hundreds of children sitting at the dinner table, and they had no food and no money to buy food. Imagine staring at all these kids, hundreds of kids, with no parents, and they're just destitute, and all, he just wants to take care of them, and, and there's no food to give them. And so he and his wife pray the promises of God, and they just start praying. And when they finish their prayer, there's a knock on the door, and it's the milkman, because his milk cart broke down right in front of the orphanage, and it was a hot day, and he knew that the milk wouldn't keep. So he donated it all to the orphans. And they at least had something, no food, but they had milk. There's another story in his autobiography where the, the children were sitting down to breakfast, and again, no food, no money. And there's a knock at the door, and it's a baker who supplies bread for all the kids. There's another story where um, he has one of his five homes that he, that he has for the orphans. They have no money to buy any furnishings, so there's no beds, there's no furnishings, and someone offers to, to, to furnish the whole place. And each time there was a need, 
George would pray the promises of God in Scripture. In 1875, five years after he finished building his fifth orphan home, he felt that God wanted him to go on the missions field, and so he began a 17-year missions trip where he preached the gospel in 42 countries. He traveled over 200,000 miles, and this was pre-aviation days. 200,000 miles, depending on God to fund all his travel for 17 years. Amazing, right? In 1892, he returned to his orphanage in Bristol. Six years later, he passed away in orphan house number three. The George Mueller Foundation, which is now called the George Mueller Charitable Trust, still exists, taking care of people, mostly children, in the Bristol, England area. And they still rely solely on prayer, generosity, and the promises of God in Scripture. See, what I love about this story is it's not just inspirational. George Mueller's story is a 60-year-long sermon on tikvah of waiting, expecting, hoping in God to make good on what he promised, to do what he said he was going to do, to just take care of orphan children. And there's a verse in Hebrews 10.23, which I think he, he so walked out so well, and it's this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Here's the good news I want to leave with you this morning before we take communion together. Tikvah isn't just for people like Rahab and George Mueller. It's for you and me too. It's for you and me too. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you just feel like you are at the end of your rope. <laughs> Maybe there's just all kinds of stress. You see no possible avenue for change. You feel like God's abandoned you. You feel like, man, I'm just barely hanging on by a thread. Well, it's not an accident you're here because you needed some tikvah. And God brought you here to hear about tikvah so you can grab a hold of it. You need a longer, thicker rope to cling to? Guess what? Scripture provides it for us. 3,000 promises, God in Scripture. And so I have this little book, and I only have 25 copies. But it's called, it's called the Bible Promise Book. And in this little book are 1,000 promises from Scripture. And, the, and what's nice about this book is they're all, like, topically listed. There's an index, and it's all, like, topically listed. So you can just turn to kind of whatever promise of God you need to read. You just turn to it, and there's a whole list of Scriptures and I only have 25, but maybe you're here this morning, you just, you just really need some tikvah. I want you to grab one when you come up and get communion. And if they're all gone and you still want one, come and tell me, I'll buy you one, and, but you have to wait for it till next week. Okay? We've got 25 today. So everybody will be like shoving each other to get to the communion table this morning, which will be awesome. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to close our service by taking communion together. And, and here's what communion does. Communion reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus. The tikvah we have in Jesus. See, just like Rahab trusted in her, her rope, her scarlet rope, 
when we take the bread and the cup, we remember where our hope comes from and the promise that Jesus made, right? Can I leave you, can I leave you with one last verse that I would really want to read for you? Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Look at this verse. For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. What a verse, huh? When we come to the table, we're, re- we're reminded that all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ, and we get to partake. We get to receive it. So I'm going to have you all stand and invite the worship band up. And I'll give you a little bit of instruction this morning because we're doing communion a little differently than, than normal. Typically, we have two tables on each side. Uh, this morning, we only have the one table. And so what I'm going to ask you to do uh, when the worship band plays and we start to worship is to come down this aisle And please take the bread and the cup. We have a gluten-free option over here on the left side for our gluten-free friends. And then when you take the bread and the cup, head up this aisle and back to your seats. And and if you want to take a Bible promise book, snatch one in your hand and just carry it with you. Can I pray for us? Are you going to let me pray for you? (laughs) Okay, good. I was going to pray for me if you said no to that. (laughs) Let's pray. God, I confess that, that um, my life at, at times feels like there's not very much hope. I look around the world, and I see the brokenness in the world, and I don't see a lot of hope. I see the racism and uh, the, the terror and all the fear. I don't see much hope, but Lord, I know that my tikva, my hope, is in Jesus. Sometimes I even see the brokenness in my own life and don't think there's much hope. Lord, that's why I need tikva. I need a rope out my window that I can look to, that I can grab hold of to remind myself that you are someone who always fulfills your promise. Lord, for those of us here today who maybe just, they're just, they're really struggling to find hope. They, they, they really are hanging on by a thread. God, I pray that the promises from your word would encourage them, lift them up, and that would give them a tikva to hang on to. Lord, as we come forward and we receive communion, the bread and the cup, it's a reminder that our hope is in Jesus, and all we have is this hope. There's nothing that we can do. We just rely on who you are, and we're so thankful that you are a God who keeps your word and your promises. So we rest in that. We trust in that. That is our faith. And we thank you for the bread and the cup and all it represents. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.